Welcome to Jesus Pursuit's weekly sermon, where our mission is bringing the good news and demonstrating the kingdom. Join us live for Worship in the Word Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on our YouTube channel. We hope you are encouraged and equipped by this week's word with our founding pastor, Denny Klein. This last month, I, I was, you know, I spent the month in, in Wisconsin in a cabin on a lake and you know, I did some fishing. The fishing wasn't really all that great, but I, I really had an amazing time with the Lord, and, and uh, I had some dreams from the Lord, and and uh, dug into some things in the Scripture I hadn't dug into for a while, and and just really felt spiritually renewed when I came home. I stopped in Fargo to speak at a church there that I love dearly, and just uh, really feel refreshed in the Lord, but. Uh, the, the dream I had, and I'm not going to get into it, but it just, now it makes more sense to me why I had it then as to what's happening now, but it was about the wedding supper of the Lamb, which is really, it was just came out of nowhere. And I'm not going to get into it. It's like too thorny. So anyway, maybe someday. But we really are watching history in the making. And I mean, you could say that about every week, I guess. But, because, I mean, time goes by, something happens, it becomes history. But I'm talking about things that become markers in history, in time, that really change the world. And, and uh, like the pandemic, in, uh, you know, really just kind of like brought us into a new era, not a new season, where people, you know, of course, always you know, want to take advantage of a crisis and... So there, you know, they talked about a, a great reset, basically, which was to try to, you know, garner the wealth of the world and control it, and, uh, you know, then control everybody through socialism and, and uh, elite leaders around the world, you know, who think they're power brokers. But, so that was one thing, and it, and it just you know, really hit people hard, did things to people, um, caused our government to do things it should never do. And so we've seen many changes on that front. And how many of you remember me talking about an encounter I had in the Hebrides Islands in 2005? It just now just seems to be more alive than ever because... <clears throat> I was taken up in the spirit, and, and as I looked down on the world, I saw trouble breaking out with wars and lawlessness and all kinds of things happening, and then a wave of glory would sweep over it, and then another wave of trouble would, would break out with, with more of the same kind of stuff, you know, and, and then another wave of glory would sweep over it, and it just increased in speed until... At some point, all you could see was a cloud of glory covering the earth. So that's the good news, right? But these waves of trouble are increasing. And, you know, the latest shoe to drop is this thing that happened Saturday with Hamas attacking Israel and killing. Now they estimate nearly 2,000 people, not all Jews, but many of them Jews, some Americans, some from other uh, nations of the world as well. Innocent people 
like 267 uh, festival goers in a festival in Gaza were, were just sabotaged with parachute terrorists from, from Hamas coming in and just slaughtering all these people. And then, you know, many escaped, but many did not. They, they entered homes, captured people, took people hostage, brutally, savagely murdered whole families, children. It's said that they even beheaded some children. Some of the worst, most horrific things you can imagine, and certainly the most horrific thing that was done to the Jews since the Holocaust. And so this is something that is not just like, oh, well, there's another bad thing happening in the world, right? This is something more than that, because then after that, shockingly to me, really, I was kind of shocked by this, all over the world, protests broke out in favor of Hamas, who did all this stuff. Now, without getting into the weeds of the Palestinian question and all that kind of stuff, which is real, you know, the, the history of, of Israel in Jerusalem now in the last 70 years is really quite complicated. But, you know, to actually be in support of murder and all this mayhem and everything, thousands and thousands of people across the world, and they, they called for what is called a day of jihad on Friday, which is to basically declare war a holy war on everybody who opposes Islam. And so this is something unprecedented that's never happened before. And I think it would be good to just take a little pause and say, what is really happening, Lord? And the Lord directed me to the book of Zechariah, which is very much coming alive right now. So I want to I get into that. And let me just say at the beginning... The book of Zechariah, first and foremost, is a book about the rebuilding of the temple after the uh, Jews came back from, you know, from Babylonian captivity. And they, you know, so it's the book of Ezra and uh, Hezekiah. Those are all books about the rebuilding of the temple and Nehemiah as well, which starts with the wall. But uh, so there's that, and that's the way the first chapter starts with uh, that, but then there's a turn right even in the, the uh, second chapter, and I'm going to read this, where it turns from Israel being, you know, from the, the focus on rebuilding the wall to Israel being scattered and an eventual return to Jerusalem. So let's go to, you might want to take notes about this, because I told Keith there's just too much to put up on the screen, and so... You can look this up later. I, I would encourage you to look at it in the Amplified Version because it's very clear what it's saying. There's, no, there's nothing changed to make it this or that. It's just very much what it is. So in the second chapter in verse um, 6, it says, Ho, ho, herein flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, and from the four winds of the heavens, for to them I have scattered you, says the Lord. That's a big turn from let's rebuild the temple. We just got back from captivity. So this book is filled with prophetic insight and things that are 
you know, about that time and things that are futuristic as well. And then down in the 12th verse, it says, And the Lord shall inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and shall again choose Jerusalem. That's interesting, isn't it? And of course, the Jews had just a very brief time after they did rebuild the temple. They were attacked again, the temple was destroyed, and then they were, they were scattered again, and they went, you know, uh, you see them end you know, hundreds of years later in Rome uh, in the time of Christ. In the sixth chapter, I'm going to be skipping around here, the chapter seems to jump ahead to a time when there are settlements in the north of Israel. Prophetically, Zechariah begins to talk about the coming Messiah who will build the true temple of the Lord, not the one made with human hands. So we'll go to chapter 6 here. There's, there's a point to this at the end, okay? <laughs> in verse 6-1, it says, And again I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were the mountains of firm, immovable bronze. And then he goes on to describe what the chariots are and horses are. And you come down to um, verse 8, and it says, Then he summoned me and said to me, Behold, these that go toward the north country have quieted my spirit of wrath and have caused it to rest in the north country. And then in the 13th verse, Yes, you're building a temple for the Lord, but it's he who shall build the true temple of the Lord. He shall bear the honor and the glory as though the only begotten of the Father and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between the two offices of priest and king, which is Jesus. So he's, he's just prophetically talking about things that are coming in the future, and then also about the coming Messiah. He touches on that several times. So then down in chapter 7, it talks about the scattering of Israel again for not showing compassion to the poor and strangers or temporary residents in the land. And I think this is more about what's happened over the last 70 years. Um, verse 10, well, it says, Thus says the Lord in 9, Execute true judgment and show mercy and kindness and tender compassion every man to his brother. And oppress not the widow, the fatherless, and temporary resident, strangers in the land, or the poor, and let none of you devise or imagine to think evil against your brother in your heart. A lot of division. There's a lot of division even in Israel today. There are many people who uh, moved into the Gaza Strip, which is a 140-square-mile strip of land that has the Mediterranean to the west and is bordered by Lebanon and Syria on the north, and then on the south is Egypt. And it runs, you know, right along uh, parallel to the land of Israel. And it was, it was actually controlled, but it was given to the Palestinians not that long ago. And uh, they actually elected Hamas as their governing people to govern this group of Palestinians in Gaza. And so, like I said, it's a very complicated mess that's happened over there. But then in um, 
The 14th verse, it says, But I will scatter them with a whirlwind among the nations whom they know not and who know not them. Thus says the Lord, The land was desolate after they had gone so that no man passed through or returned. For the Jews, be, uh, for they, the Jews, by their sins, had caused to be laid waste and forsaken the pleasant land of desire. Now, I can't say for sure what time frame I think this is or what it refers to exactly, but we know that the Jews were scattered all over the earth, and then they came back to their homeland in 1948, and since then, even Holocaust survivors have been moving in in droves, and now there's somewhere close to 10 million people in Israel. They're not all Jews, but there's nearly 10 million people in the land of Israel, which is only the size of New Jersey. That's all the bigger it is, and there's 10 million people there. Chapter 8 indicates a time of peace and prosperity for Israel, where even nations come to inquire of the Lord and pray. How much have we seen this in Israel, really, over the last decades since they've been a nation? People actually go to the Wailing Wall from all over the world to pray. And not all of them are, are Jews. Many of them are of other faiths. And they go to pray and inquire of the Lord. And so this is actually something that's actually happened. But it says that, you know, more and more as time goes on and the divisions in the world increase and hatred for the Jews increase, it says that, um, that uh, they will be called a curse by other nations in verse 13 of chapter 8. But in verse 22, it says, And the inhabitants of one, well, the inhabitants of one city shall go to to them of another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray and entreat the favor of the Lord and seek and inquire of the Lord. That, I just talked about that. Yes, many people, strong nations shall come to Jerusalem and seek and inquire of the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And I think I missed, uh, oh, it's in verse 13. It says that they're actually, even though, even though that's good stuff is going on, it says, you have been a curse and a byword among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel. So I will save you, and it will be a blessing. Fear not. So let your hands become strong and hardened. Chapter 9 and, uh, you know, 10 and 11 deserve way more study all by themselves, and I can't really you know, try to come up with something that's really concrete about those in particular. But, but um, it's interesting that in chapter 9, it actually talks about Gaza, Syria, and Lebanon. And then right in the middle, you know, there's different verses. You'll have to read it, but it actually talks about them. It starts at the beginning with talking about Hadrach in Syria, Damascus, will be a resting place for the Lord and an eye all mankind is on the tribes of Israel. Hamath, which is interesting, I don't know if Hamas is an alliteration from Hamath. It says, which borders Damascus, Tyre and Sidon, we're talking Lebanon. And so, there's all of that, but then right in the middle of all of this, the prophet again speaks of Jesus the king this time coming in riding on a donkey 
which is something prophetically that's quoted in the New Testament. It says, um, it's all these uh, rebukes of the shepherds. Well, sadly, I didn't put the actual scripture here, but it's in here. <laughs> anyway, there's, there's a scripture that talks about how the king comes riding in on a donkey. And uh, that obviously is speaking of Jesus, which they referred to in the New Testament. 11 and 12 are, again, just rebukes of the bad and false shepherds who are leading Israel. Then it opens them up again to their enemies. But here's where I'm coming to, which is really, this is not going to be real long today, which I'm coming to, which is really the crux of the whole thing. And I believe where we're at now in chapter 12. It says the burden, this is starting in verse 1, the burden or oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of a man within him. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup or bowl of reeling to all the peoples round about. And in the siege against Jerusalem, there will also be a siege against Judah. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all peoples. All who lift, up, who lift it up or burden themselves with it shall be sorely wounded. And all the nations of the earth shall come together and gather together against it. And in that day, says, I will smite those, the armies that contend against Jerusalem with terror and panic as a rider with his madness. And I will open my eyes of regard with favor to the house of Judah and smite every army that, of the opposing nations with blindness. We saw that happen, actually happen in the seven-day war with Syria that they... Suddenly, they, their eyes, their vision changed, and they saw angels, a horde of angels coming, and thought they were outnumbered by Israel, which they weren't, and the war was quickly over. It's like they were, their eyes were blinded from reality, and, and they saw in the spirit something that was not, you know, that uh, made them back off. He, he goes on to say that, you know, it's, that Israel is going to become like a boiling pot, and for the people round about, and people will try to devour it. But the Lord shall save and give victory to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may be magnified and exalted by, above Judah. In that day, the Lord will guard and defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, who are spiritually feeble and stumble among themselves in that day, and the house of David shall maintain supremacy. Like God, the angel of the Lord who is before them. And it shall be in that day I will make my aim to destroy the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace 
and unmerited favor and supplication. Now listen to this. And they shall look upon him, me, whom they have pierced, and shall mourn for him as one mourns his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as he one who is in bitterness for his firstborn. This is a prophetic word concerning, uh, I believe it's in chapter 9 where it says, and shall all Israel shall be saved. Suddenly they realize they killed the Messiah. And they'll mourn over it. And, you know, whether it's literal or figurative, it doesn't matter because it's going to be grand. All Israel will be saved. It's going to be amazing. And we're, I don't know how close we are to that, but we could be very close. It says, all the families that are left, each by itself, the wives by themselves, each with an overwhelming sorrow over having blindly rejected their unrecognized Messiah. 13 and 14 are very futuristic and point to the end times. Not going to get into it. But it should be noted here, we shouldn't be surprised by what's happening. Remember who Ishmael is? He was the illegitimate son, if you want to call it that. This, this Abraham, you know, got ahead of himself, tried to take matters into his own hands. It was, you know, God promised him a son to bless all the nations of the earth. But, you know, and his seed would spread all across the earth and be a blessing to the whole earth. But then Abraham had relations with his maid, and the offspring was Ishmael. And so God prophesied some good things about Ishmael, saying that he would bless Ishmael, make him a great nation, and that he would be fruitful. But then he says this about Ishmael. And the angel of the Lord continued and said, See, now you are with child and shall bear a son. and shall call his name Ishmael, God hears, because the Lord has heard and paid attention to your affliction. Speaking to the maid. Uh, and he, Ishmael, will be as a wild ass among men. Donkey. His hand will be against every other man's hand and against him, and he will live to the east in the borders of all of his kinsmen. Oh, my goodness. The Bible speaks. It's amazing, isn't it? And so what we have had, you know, and, of course, it's amped up dramatically. It's just gone, uh, you know, just to an incredible level since Islam was born because the Koran, you know, actually specifically states that anybody who opposes Islam should be killed. And I know there, there's controversy about that, but, you know, they try to explain it away with, you know, it's being some... Uh, Spiritually symbolic and different things, you know, jihad. But honestly, you know, like it's, uh, you know, jihad is actually about your personal growth, spiritually. <laughs> but that's not what the intent was. And, of course, they had the Ottoman Crusades and all that kind of stuff. And so we know that, that uh, you know, there was, there was an attempt to wipe out the Jews and there was an attempt to clear back then, you know, to spread Islam across the world, become the major world religion. We know all that's true, and we know the terror 
that has happened in the last uh, while. It's been going on for a while, but then it really amped up with 9-11 in 2001 and even before that, 1993. But we know that terrorism, Islamic terrorism has just amped up. Then you had ISIS, which is as brutal as Hamas and all of these different things on the earth. So we shouldn't be surprised when God said that, there, that his hand is going to be against every other man's hand. This has actually been playing out on the earth for thousands of years now. And now we're coming, though, to a crescendo, to a time where God is, is going to wrap things up. I mean, I don't know when that's going to be. I don't have some, you know, specific time frame for all of that, you know. But I will say this. If ever we were closer to the end of days, you know, what they call the last days culminating, we are, we are closer than we've ever been. And why do I point all this out? Because you can't really get specific about how it plays out. But we are, the point is this, we're living in historical times that point to the last days. And this is one prophet's words about it. I'm going to go to the one that I spoke about the last time I spoke here before I left. Malachi 4, but the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that we should be walking circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. I've never seen such lawlessness, uh, disregard for human life, in my lifetime, I know, you know, you could go back to World War I and II and times in past even like that and see some really horrible stuff, right? But in our lifetime, we've never seen anything like we're seeing now. I mean, even in our country, prosecutors are favoring criminals over victims. Good is being called evil and evil is being called good. So we're living in times where we need to be sober and awake, right? We need to walk circumspectly, which means take consideration of what's before you before you act, before you make decisions. Be wise. Don't be like a fool. Redeem the time. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. And I'm not saying don't enjoy life while we haven't, or any of those kinds of things. I'm not saying that. But the thing is, in the middle of that, we can't hide our head in the sand. Christians were never meant to be ostriches. <laughs> and you can do that many different ways. You can even do it with church stuff. You know, we can get focused on I, me, and my trouble, and what's going on with me, and how good is this, and how good is that in the church, and all these different things. when we have many, many people who are blinded by the enemy and are held captive in deception and are literally lost. This is a time for the church to wake up. It's time for the church to wake up. And I really liked uh, the declaration you put out this morning, Karen, because I, I didn't even know this was in it about the spirit of, you know, 
spirit of Elijah, you know, being something that's a mandate for Albany to go around the world. Well, let's read it. Malachi 4, verse 5. And this is where I'm going to wrap this up. Behold, I will send you this Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. So I just talked about the last days and the great and terrible day of the Lord approaching, right? But before it comes, he says, I will send Elijah, and he's talking about the spirit of Elijah. He shall turn and reconcile the hearts of the estranged fathers to the children and the hearts of the rebellious children to the fathers, a reconciliation produced by repentance of the ungodly, lest I come and smite the land with a curse and a ban of utter destruction, which is coming. If you read the book of Revelation, it is coming someday where Jesus comes back and, and begins to judge the world and he, he's coming with an army. He's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as a lion and he's coming with an army. And he's going to take vengeance on all of this stuff that's been happening on the earth, all the witchcraft, the adultery, the sin, the, the murder, the mayhem, the, the killing of innocents, the killing of Jews and the, and the hatred of the Jews and all of that kind of stuff, which is just shocking how much hatred of Jews there is. I, I, I didn't know it was so much on the rise, to be honest, the way it is right now, but it is. But he's going to send the spirit of Elijah. He did that to draw people to the Messiah when Jesus was on the earth with John the Baptist as a forerunner. But Jesus said he'll come again. What does that actually look like? I believe it looks like what I saw when I was lifted up above the earth and saw the waves of trouble and the waves of glory. The trouble's not going away, but the glory's coming. And it's going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And it's going to bring many people to repentance and restore hearts. What's the number one thing that the enemy's been trying to do for a long time in this nation and now around the world? Destroy families. Destroy the family of man as well, the, you know, humanity in general, the whole family of man. Get it against each other, pit it against each other so that a world war breaks out and we kill each other. That's what he's up to, rob, kill, and destroy. But it's targeted specifically toward family. We can see that in all of the mixed up nonsense about gender and all this kind of stuff today as well as, uh, you know, what is actually happening to bring deception, to just cause families to blow apart. And, you know, it's demonic. Sometimes we think, oh, well, this is your fault and that's your fault. This, it's actually demonic. Before you blame somebody else, realize that you're under attack demonically and run to Jesus. That's where your deliverance comes from. So, how do we walk circumspectly? How do we see the spirit of Elijah come? 
We cry out to God for the spirit of Elijah to come. We pray for the spirit of Elijah to come. And we do everything we can, which the road about, to restore families, which is the key to revival. It's a restoration of family. We do that work, but it starts with prayer and our own, you know, taking to task our own stuff. Repentance actually starts with me. It doesn't start with somebody else. It starts with me. Change the way I think. Amend my ways. That's the way it actually starts. Then you're in a position to pray lightly, counsel rightly, do rightly. Right? So this is what we have before us, and I think the church needs to wake up. Say, what are we, what are we doing right now, you know? Are we, you know, raiding the worship and the buildings that we that we are in and the conferences we have and all that kind of stuff, or are we actually on point and locked down, as they say, in, in the sports world, we're locked down, we're locked in on the goal, which is to win, by the way, not lose. I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. But if we want to be among those who get the trophy and are a part of that whole celebration, we got to get locked in. We can't say, well, somebody else will do it. I had this scripture come to me when I was in Wisconsin. I thought, well, where's that coming from? Out of Esther. When Mordecai, you know, discovers that the Jews are going to all be annihilated in Persia, which is Iraq, by the way, you know, geographically. <clears throat> and then he sends a letter to Esther to let her know what's going on. She's in the king's court. Maybe she can say something to the king and stop this before it happens. But she kind of gives an answer back like, well, I don't know, you know, I can't go before him, you know. Nobody can go before the king unless they're called. Otherwise, they're murdered, they're killed. And he said, don't flatter yourself, Esther, to think that just because you're in the king's house, you and your family won't be killed along with everybody else. He said that, you know, a, a rescue would come and God would deliver the Jews from some other way and some other place. But who knows whether or not you've been called for such a time as this in the kingdom. Right? And he spoke that to me in, in Wisconsin. What's that all about? It's about what he's saying to the church right now. Don't flatter yourselves and think that, that we're going to escape all this because we belong to Jesus. We're in the king's house. We need to rise up. We need to stand for what we need to stand for. We need to speak for what we need to speak for. And we need to bring as many people to a saving knowledge of Christ as we possibly can. This is no time to be an ostrich. This is no time to just play games, you guys. If last week didn't say anything to you, it should, it should sober you some. 
I know it's real easy to go, well, we got the Ukraine war, and we got this war, and we got all this other stuff going on, we got that going on. I mean, it's just another thing. It's not another thing. It's not just another thing. You mark my words, this is not just another thing. I'm not scolding anybody, I'm just saying where we're at and where we need to be. This all hits home to me very deeply, personally. And sometimes I feel myself begin to slip back and go, oh, wait a minute, wake up. The Lord just woke you up. Wait, stay awake. There's no time to slumber. Stay awake. Well, that's, I don't know. I hope that's okay that I did this. I felt it, you know, it was really needed to give some biblical context to the world we're living in and what we're going through. We don't do that too often around here, but I don't, I don't know that I've ever, ever done it, to be honest, like I did today. But I felt that it was really of the Lord. So why don't we stand and we'll close in prayer. And what I'm about to say is not a criticism. But if you came today because... Well, I was hoping you'd just, like, be, fill me with hope today, you know, and, and uh, you know, make me feel so good when I left today and everything. Listen to Joel Osteen. I mean that. The guy's amazing. He's like, he's like the hope, you know, the hope uh, dealer, you know? And I don't mean to leave you without hope because our hope is in Christ and he is coming, and the glory of the Lord is coming in the spirit of Elijah, and he means to send the spirit of Elijah. But let's, let's get on track with the Lord and hasten it. Let's do what that declaration said, actually be a, a place that has a mandate with that and calls forth the spirit of Elijah and see it go to the nations. Wouldn't that be amazing uh, legacy for Jesus Pursuit Church? I think it would. So let's pray. Father, I, I just thank you for your protection over us thus far as a nation, Lord. We, you told me in 1999 that the next attack of terrorism would come from south of a border. Wow, does that ever look true today? But Lord, you're protecting us, and I pray that you would continue to protect our nation so that the church can, as Karen said, get healed up and rise up into our calling and be a light to the nations, Lord. Lord, there are so many people who are questioning and looking for you, the answer, Jesus, and we have it. So, Lord, I pray that we won't be inward-focused, Lord, that we'll be outward-focused in our lives, and that everywhere we go will be a testimony of your love and goodness and your glory. And I just bless your people today, Lord. And Lord, you said if we ask for wisdom, we can have it without doubting. And you wouldn't reproach us. So we ask for great wisdom in this hour, Lord, 
to know how to walk circumspectly as wise people, making the most of our time, even redeeming it, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ, the church, which is your instrument of goodness and glory on the earth today. Lord, would you anoint us with the spirit of Elijah? Would you send forth the spirit of Elijah upon us? Would you send forth the spirit of Elijah on this city? Would you send forth the spirit of Elijah on this nation? Would you send forth the spirit of Elijah on the entire world, Lord, and turn hearts towards one another and back to you, God, in repentance? We ask this all, Lord, for the glory of your great name, Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to Jesus Pursuit's weekly sermon. If you would like to be a part of seeing people encounter God, experience transformation, and be equipped to advance the kingdom, you have the opportunity to partner with us through giving at jesuspursuit.org forward slash give. Together, we can make Jesus famous in Albany, the Northwest, and the nations. We hope you have a blessed week, and we'll see you next time.